Well, today uh, we're going to continue our uh, study of Genesis. I know the Torah portion is in Exodus. It can get a little confusing, right? Uh, but we are in uh, Genesis chapter 18, and uh, we want to continue our understanding of that uh, chapter and what it means uh, and what it means to us. All right. So in uh, Brashit, in Genesis chapter 18, this is, uh, you know, in, its, in the bigger uh, picture, of course, it comes after the chapter where uh, Abraham's, a- Abram becomes Abraham and God institutes the rite of circumcision, Brit Milah, uh, and, uh, and of course, we might expect uh, when you read chapter 17 that the next thing that's going to happen is Isaac uh, is going to be born. But there's uh, several intervening things uh, that, uh, you know, that take place. So uh, just to refresh our memory uh, for a second, that in chapter 18 you have two stories, uh, very distinct uh, stories about Abraham, right? One is uh, the visitor, the three men come and... And Abraham uh, just uh, almost stumbles over himself to be hospitable uh, to them. Goes goes like out of his way, and and we're given the specifics of what they eat and and all of that. And so, of course, by having all of those details and details in the Tanakh, whenever you read details in the Hebrew Bible, it tells you that it's important because you don't read a lot of details. Uh, oftentimes, you just read. Uh, and, uh, you know, like a king reigned for 50 years and then he died, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't always get a lot of details. Uh, so when you do read, especially in, um, in Hebrew, uh, details, it tells you that it's important. So it's important for us to know that Abraham was hospitable. It's important for us to know uh, that he was talking to the Lord and, and that they had this fellowship uh, uh, together. It's important for us uh, it's important for us to know uh, that um, one of those uh, angels is the Lord and that he says by this time next year, uh, Sarah will have a child. It's important for us to know the, um, the statement in verse uh, 14, is anything too difficult uh, for the Lord, right? Uh, that is what the man the Lord says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? So remember last time we talked about Abraham's faith here. Abraham doesn't question any of it. Uh, he, in a sense, embraces these men and embraces the, uh, the, the, the message. And we also mentioned Sarah as well, in that oftentimes she's viewed in a negative light, but it really isn't a negative light. But you can, you can uh, listen to that at, at another time what we said uh, uh, last time about, about that. But uh, remember what we said, that the, the key to understanding the relationship of these stories is a verse that's right in between them. And it's like a hinge. It's like you have two stories tied together by a hinge. And that is in uh, verses 18, 17, 18, and 19. So we read here, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Uh, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, 
and in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken uh, about him. So we see here in between the two stories, we're reminded that Abraham is going to be a great and mighty nation, the great promise that God made to him, uh, and that in him all the nations of the earth uh, shall be blessed. Now, it's important for us to remember that there because the first half of the chapter uh, has to do with not only Abraham and hospitality, but also the promise of a child that's going to be born, uh, who's going to be a key to all the families of the earth uh, being blessed, right? Uh, and then we see here that, remember we said, for I have known him. Chosen is not really a good English uh, word here for this. It's I have known him. I have known him. In order that he may command his children and his household to keep the, the derech Adonai, right? The way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that uh, everything that God has said may, uh, may come upon him. Now, you know, something that's uh, important when we read these uh, stories is that they're not just giving us anecdotal history. You know, by the way, this happened. You know, just so that we would know that it, that it happened. Everything that happens, I, especially in the lives of the patriarchs and elsewhere, I, is to uh, give us paradigms and models of, uh, of how to live. In fact, we read that about the wilderness wanderings, even of, about Israel. Negative models and positive models, right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that those things happened uh, uh, to them for our, for our benefit, right? So that we might understand how to live and, and, and what to do and what not to do. Uh, so when uh, we read these stories about Abraham, the, 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 the question that we don't want to ask is, uh, okay, am I supposed to act just like Abraham in everything that I do? Uh, or is there a paradigm or is there a model of ethics, a model of a way of life? And the answer is yes, there is a model of a way of life. Uh, and it comes from, as we said last time, inner qualities that Abraham had, inner qualities that, uh, that he had. He was acting out of faithfulness. Uh, in his relationship to these three men. He was acting out of his covenant relationship with God, right? Uh, he was uh, acting out of uh, a hope uh, for, uh, for the future. And so in a way we could say, just as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that what's going to last is faith, hope, and love. Well, may I suggest that those qualities didn't start uh, when uh, Paul was uh, writing to the Corinthians. It wasn't like, hey, here's something new. Faith, hope, and love. No. May I suggest it goes back to the Torah. It goes back to the Shema. It goes back to the way that we're uh, called upon to love God and, and to, to live it out. Uh, you know, it's interesting 
that uh, after Abraham dies, uh, something very interesting is uh, said of him. Uh, here we read, when, when God is reiterating the covenant to Isaac, he says this in uh, Genesis 26. He says, um, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all the lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Okay? What it, it's, it's a very well-known verse because this is, comes obviously long before there were statutes and laws and, and, uh, and commandments, right? A long time before there was a Moses and, and all of that. But what it is saying is, is that Abraham was faithful to the Lord and it was reflected in the way that, that, uh, that he lived. So one of the things we learn from this first story of the hospitality uh, is uh, everything from kindness to strangers to the importance of uh, being hospitable, of uh, reaching out and of being welcoming uh, and uh, all that goes, um, you know, all that goes along, uh, along with that, right? But then we come to the second story, and that's our focus uh, uh, today, is that now uh, uh, Abraham, who uh, is accentuating at the beginning of the chapter kindness, you know, and, uh, and, and, and reaching out, now we see another uh, virtue, one might say, of Abraham in the way that he speaks to God. First, in the fact that he speaks to God in, in such a way is, uh, you know, we have to uh, remember. So let's read the second part, uh, beginning in verse 20. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away and and uh, there turned away from there and went toward Sodom, where while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, "Will thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city." Wilt thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do justly, deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. In other words, I'm going out on a limb, okay? Although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will thou destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. 
And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. So you have this famous conversation uh, that Abraham has with, uh, with the Lord. So when you go back to verse 19, and we read about how uh, I have known him in order that he may command his children and, and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So here we see certainly uh, Abraham's being concerned for the righteous at, uh, at Sodom. Now, this is where we get into an interesting situation about uh, models and paradigms, uh, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, is Abraham, are we learning from this that God should not judge evil? After all, uh, Abraham, uh, you know, he never, doesn't pray for the wicked to repent. He doesn't say, to, oh, may the wicked repent, right? Does that mean we should not pray? If there's a wicked place, we should not play, pray for people to repent? Of course we should, right? This is not like the Lord's Prayer or something like that. You know, uh, here's the model of how we pray. We're, we are seeing a narrative of Abraham interacting with God at a particular time in a particular way uh, for particular reasons. And from that, we learn something about what's inside of Abraham and how it comes out, okay? Uh, so first of all, we want to remember that Lot is in Sodom, all right? So Abraham does have a little bit of a vested interest in Sodom, all right? But he doesn't mention Lot by name. Spare my nephew, you know, spare Lot, okay? Uh, and so that, that's important because we don't want to stop there and say, Abraham was motivated because he had a nephew living there, and so uh, he uh, was just concerned about Lot. No, that's not the case. He's concerned, certainly about Lot, but he's concerned for the righteous, uh, the righteous of, the, uh, of the city. All right? Now, uh, what does it mean, though, when he says here, uh, for example... Uh, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on their account. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, is this uh, about uh, not judging the wicked? That the wicked are let off the hook if there are uh, so many uh, righteous people? No, that's not the point of the passage. Okay? The passage is teaching us about Abraham's concern for the righteous people, his concern for the righteous people, okay? So what Abraham is concerned about is that the righteous do not die along with the wicked, okay? So the point is, is that the lives of the righteous people are worthy enough to spare the whole city, okay? So very importantly, Abraham is concerned. Now, this is a place that Abraham doesn't know people in Sodom other than Lot, right? And, uh, and here you have uh, this wicked place. It's interesting 
that uh, Abraham, again, doesn't simply say, well, there are wicked people. Do away with all of them. Just spare my people. He says, if there are 50, if there are 45, if there are 30, if there, you know, whatever the number is. And so here, Abraham, in being concerned for uh, strangers, one might say, uh, uh, tells us that unlike in our world, we might say, Abraham does not lump everyone in Sodom together. And that uh, and that therefore, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to walk in the way of the Lord? To be concerned for people. To be concerned uh, for uh, humanity. Uh, in our world, we have a tendency to uh, uh, look at an entire ethnic group and blame an entire group or an entire country or an entire uh, people group, we'll use that term that we like to use, uh, and just pray that the, you know, the evil would be done away. But there's a real challenge to us here in that we learn from Abraham about being concerned for righteous people no matter where they live. Right Now, when we read righteous, we usually think of righteous in you know, in terms of, uh, do they know the? Are they believers in Yeshua, right? But I think what he's, what he, uh, I'm going to suggest here that in the context of what he's talking about, may I suggest that when he says, if there are 50 righteous people, he doesn't mean 50 people who uh, believe in the God of Israel and and no other God, but it's just simply versus wicked, and that the a better word in this context for us to understand what he's really concerned about are innocent people, innocent, uh, innocent uh, uh, people. Uh, and, uh, and certainly, Abraham, uh, again, serves as a, uh, a model for us uh, of, of perhaps a way of being concerned and showing deference for people. There are plenty of places in our world where people don't know the Lord, right, but are victimized in varieties of ways. Uh, and uh, it's important for us, uh, you know, to, to pray, yes, that wickedness is judged, that uh, evil, uh, we pray against evil wherever it may be, but that we're able to differentiate between people and evil regimes, right? Very, very important that when we think about most of us, what we know about a foreign nation is how good or wicked the leader is. Uh, and uh, uh, very important for us to follow the model of uh, Abraham in the way that we judge, in the way that we judge. So if you remember last time, we said that Abraham displayed in these two stories. Uh, a number of virtues. Some are general virtues that, that we would say about anybody. If you read some, you know, someone who runs into a burning building and saves a baby, they're virtuous. We don't ask them, but did they know the, they're evil unless they knew the Lord, right? No. Uh, there are certain virtues that are good no matter who has them, right? Uh, and so that is, uh, uh, 
uh, as human beings, right? The virtue of good judgment. Abraham displays good judgment in both of these stories. Welcoming, you know, uh, the men, uh, uh, engaging with the Lord in, in describing that when it says that, uh, you know, I have known him, we see that demonstrated in this sharing of this, of this meal and how Abraham uh, conducts himself. Then we see here that Abraham shows good judgment in uh, not just simply acquiescing and say, okay, Lord, ha- just do, do what you're going to do. But he is concerned. He uh, has a passion for what is right and acts on that passion. And so not only does he show good judgment, but he's also courageous. That is something, I know I mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating because we hardly ever talk about things like that, you know? We hard, when was the last time we ever heard uh, something about being courageous uh, uh, from the scriptures, right? Uh, now, courage can come from varieties of places. What makes it uh, a virtue uh, framed in knowing the Lord is that being motivated by loving God, by motivated, motivated by radical love, he shows radical hospitality, and he shows a radical concern for, for people. And so he is motivated, I will say, by the very attributes we read of what it means to be filled with the Ruach, filled with the Spirit, faith, hope, and love. When you read in First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 13, let's turn there for a second, actually. First Corinthians chapter 13. Whoever thought, in talking about Genesis 18, we would turn to 1 Corinthians 13, right? Oh, it's one Bible, I forgot. Okay, there you go. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13. See, this is a great lesson for us in recognizing that, you know, the God of, uh, of uh, whether we're talking about the, the God of Israel, the God of uh, who, those who embrace Yeshua, there is one God, and he has the same attributes because there's only one God, and that Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel. When we say the incarnation of God, the incarnation of the God of Israel, yud vav he's identified with yud vav not some derivative with new attributes or something. Or it's not like, wow, don't they have a lot in common? You, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not like that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read at the end of the chapter, when I was a child, in verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I uh, also have been fully known. But now... Uh, abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So if we read the, the whole uh, chapter there, we would see that uh, while there may be many ways of uh, manifesting the presence of, of the Ruach in our lives, the most important is love. The most important is love, and what abides forever is faith, hope, and love. Everything else will cease, but faith, hope, and love remain. Those are, those are virtues that Paul is saying, that's what we need to focus on. That's what he's saying, okay? 
Uh, and then he describes love. And if you've been to uh, uh, you know, weddings, you probably have heard uh, all about it, right? Uh, he says here um, in verse 3, uh, well, yeah, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians uh, 13. If I give all my possessions and feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. That means it doesn't get offended does not uh, rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then it never fails, right? If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Tongues, they'll, they'll cease. Knowledge, it'll be done away. And then he goes on to say, uh, you know, right now we're, we know in part, but, you know, in the day, faith, hope, and love will remain uh, and uh, and be manifested. Now uh, we're we're cultivating those things and growing in those things. But Abraham, who had a relationship with God, also manifested faith, hope, and love, motivated uh, by the promise of God uh, for descendants that he would be a blessing, that he would bless, that there was a future, uh, there was a, that there was a hope, uh, uh, and so that motivates him to uh, act in the hospitality, and in speaking up. Now, so it took really, uh, uh, you know, courage uh, and good judgment. Also, we might say determination. Notice he, he presses the Lord. He, he presses in. He's not satisfied with 50. He's not satisfied with 40. He's not satisfied with 30. He stops at 10. But the point is, is that uh, he is determined to understand that, that God uh, is just, and so therefore the righteous will be, uh, therefore the righteous will be saved. Our, what we get out of this is the concern of, of uh, Abraham, okay, uh, for the righteous. Okay, and then we could also say he shows restraint also. Uh, uh, here as well. He doesn't uh, lose his cool. He doesn't say, God, you know, just how could he do this kind of thing? No. Uh, You know, the Bible says in uh, Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Uh, And there uh, there are many passages where we see godly people reasoning reasoning with uh, God. And again, it comes out of this uh, a virtue, okay? Uh, you know, there's another example. Actually, there's, there's many, many examples. I'll say one uh, that comes to mind only because uh, I'm finishing up this uh, two-part class on Exodus. Boy, uh, there's so much to learn when we uh, study the text a little slower than, uh, than a survey. So, you know, this past week we covered the... Um, the, uh, the golden calf, chapter 32, 33, and 34. Okay? Now, I won't go into all the detail, but of course, you know, a big piece of it is, why is the golden calf in chapters 32, 33, and 34 and not actually beginning in chapter 25 uh, or uh, at the end of chapter 19? Ah, take a class. Uh, you'll learn those things, how the 
the, the canonical meaning of these texts. But anyway, Moses. Moses reaches a real high point in this in uh, the golden calf. Uh, uh, so what do we see there? Uh, we see first uh, that Moses uh, shows uh, anger at the sin. He breaks the tablets. You know? And you know what's interesting is just before Moses breaks the tablets, there's like several verses that describe the tablets. In other words, that, and it even says written by the finger of God. So what I said in the class is, imagine if you had the autograph of a really famous person, right? You know, uh, would, and let's say you got angry at your, uh, in my world, when my children were little, would have been probably like a, a famous sports person, you know? So let's say we had an autograph of a, of a famous baseball player, and my, my son uh, got in trouble. Would I take that, and would I rip it up? You know, you can't put that back together again, you know? Would I rip it up? That, that's what Moses did. This was the, the Ten Commandments written by God, and he smashes it. Wow. That's, you know, that speaks volumes. But then God says, there are th- they have, God and Moses have three conversations in those chapters. Okay? To cut to, I can tell I'm going off on it. To cut to the chase, each one is an intercession. Moses intercedes for the people three times in the Golden Calf episode. The first time he intercedes, God wants to kill everybody. Just destroy everybody, except Moses, okay? And Moses says, God, don't do it, don't do it. You know, what will the Egyptians think? What, you know, uh, what about your, your name and so on? And so what about the covenant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and all of that? Uh, and so God relents. He says, okay, I won't kill everybody, right? So that's number one. Then Moses prays that uh, the people would be able to basically, you know, uh, fulfill the promise and go to the promised land. God says, okay, I won't kill them. Uh, the people are judged. You know, those who are guilty are judged. But I won't, ki- I won't uh, kill them off. And, I, uh, and they can continue on the journey. In other words, the promise is still true. But I'm not going to go with them. Then Moses intercedes again and says, for the third time, he says, this, Lord, if you don't go, we don't go. You have to go. And then God relents, and, and uh, he forgives them. Actually, Moses prays that way, Lord, forgive them. So the very presence of God being in their midst is tantamount to saying that God forgives them, right? And so then God says, okay. And so then you have, of course, now the tabernacle uh, can be built <laughs> because the, the God will dwell uh, with, with the people. But then, so right after that, what happens right after that? We have the, uh, the do-over at Mount Sinai. Right? Moses goes back up. He gets the Ten Commandments again. And this time, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he wants, he says, Lord, show me your ways. And he says, show me your glory. Right? And, and so we see that, that God shows him his attributes. Shows him his attributes. And uh, you know them in Exodus uh, uh, chapter 34. Right? Very famous passage. In Exodus 34, we see the Lord descended in the in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, 
who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So God is forgiving, God is just, God is compassionate. And so we see God displays these attributes in uh, this interaction with Moses and with Israel. But also, Moses displays these attributes in the way that he approaches God and the way that he interacts with the people, you know. Uh, And so we would say also about Abraham. Uh, You know, Abraham demonstrates these attributes, the way he approaches God and the way that he approaches the people. Uh, uh, And we could go on, you know. Habakkuk is another one. Asaph is another one. Habakkuk. He says, Lord, how could you, how could you uh, let sin run rampant? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to let sin run rampant? Right? And so then God says, I'm going to do something in your day you're not going to believe. And basically what God says is, uh, uh, I'm going to take the worst enemy you can think of and use them to judge the people. And this is like too, mu- too much over the top for Abraham. I'm too for Habakkuk. No, Lord, how could you do such a thing? Right? Now, uh, actually, why don't we turn there for just a second? Uh, Habakkuk. Okay. So, uh, Habakkuk is famous, of course. Uh, he uh, says uh, some very interesting things. But kind of like Abraham, when Abraham is uh, approaching God and he says, you know, uh, if I venture to speak uh, uh, to you, Lord, so uh, Habakkuk says, after this like, sort of this little argument that he has with the Lord, in chapter 2, he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So in other words, he's saying, I'm going to hold on for dear life because I, might, I may have uh, gone a little bit over the line, uh, okay, uh, uh, But then God responds. The Lord answered and said to me, Record the vision, inscribe it on the tablets, that the one who reads it may run. Traditionally, that means to take it as a message and to shout it from the mountaintops. Now, uh, but then he says this. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. You know, Maimonides quotes uh, this verse to talk about uh, the Messianic age and, and when it's going to come. Like, it should be coming, but it's not here, and we're waiting, and so on. So when you read this carefully, notice he says, the vision is yet for the appointed time. Appointed time. In other words, a, a particular time. It hastens toward the goal, like it's going, right? Uh, and it will not fail. In other words, shh. Man, it's like a train coming down the tracks. But then he says, though it tarries, wait for it. Well, wait a minute. How is it hastening and it's not going to fail? And then it's like tarrying, like going slow. Wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. So may I suggest that what this is, you see in this verse, two perspectives. The perspective of God and the perspective of the prophet. From God's point of view, all of history is working out. It's moving forward. Uh, It's hastening toward the goal. 
It's not going to fail. It's not going to, uh, to delay. What God is, uh, from God's point of view, what God is doing in this world, uh, we may not completely understand. We definitely do not understand. It says in you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, right? But he's told us what we're responsible for is walking with him, being obedient, loving him unconditionally, you know, all of that, right? Uh, and so we don't know exactly why everything happens. We don't know why in our world righteous people do die along with the wicked. There's lots of events that take place where wicked people die and good people die. And, and uh, you know, as Yeshua said, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? So we don't understand uh, uh, how it all is working together. But God is moving forward. From our point of view, it seems to be taking forever, right? Right? And so uh, God encourages him. Though it tarries, it will not delay. And so God is saying to Habakkuk, very important message. He's saying, I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to judge. I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring judgment uh, for ungodliness on Israel, and I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. But then he says, in the meantime, if you go back there to the fourth verse of Habakkuk chapter 2, after he says, will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Okay? Now, in Hebrew, what that means, it means that in the meantime, live faithfully. Those who are righteous, those who, who are following after the Lord, live faithfully. In the meantime, live faithfully. And so, uh, in the life of going now, going all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is in the middle of a lot of faith-stretching activity. Uh, he is trusting God for this child. Uh, he shows hospitality to these visitors. He, uh, he prays on behalf of these, uh, you know, of the righteous uh, in, uh, uh, in Sodom, okay? And, and again, the focus is on Abraham praying on behalf of the righteous and trusting that God is just, even if we don't understand it all, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we read in the book of Hebrews, I won't take the time, but in the 11th chapter, it said that Abraham and others died without seeing the ultimate promise. Died without seeing the ultimate promise, but died in faith, died in hope, died in, uh, you know, in, in, in love, looking forward indeed to that day. And so what we can learn from Abraham in this chapter is uh, may we have the virtues and the, uh, the faithfulness of uh, Abraham uh, to, we could say on the surface, to show hospitality to strangers, to trust God for his promises, and then to speak up on behalf of the righteous. You know, they seem like different kinds of qualities, but, but all of them uh, when you go back to Exodus 34, uh, God is just, God is loving, God is compassionate, God does not leave the guilty unpunished, all of those attributes. And uh, we see them in the life of Moses, 
We see them uh, in the prayer of uh, Habakkuk. We see them, uh, it, I could go, you know, on your own, read Psalm 73. You see it in Asaph, uh, uh, who, was a, who was the music leader. Uh, and you see it in uh, other places as well. And so may we have these virtues of Abraham that cause us to act out in a certain way uh, and recognize that it, is when, that it is not simply the acting out, but it must be motivated by godliness. And that's where integrity comes from. You know, uh, just in closing, when you, when you go back there to that, that 1 Corinthians passage, when you read it carefully, uh, I, uh, Paul is saying, it's not, about, it's not so much about what you do as much as it is who you are. I mean, because you can feed everybody. You can do all kinds of wonderful acts, but without this attribute of the love of God, it's worthless, see? Uh, and, uh, and that's what makes for integrity. And uh, certainly we see the same attributes displayed in the life of Yeshua, of the Messiah. Uh, and uh, most, uh, most certainly, when Yeshua talks about, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly we see that being demonstrated here uh, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 18. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, it is uh, in the Messiah that we know that now, internally, God has placed his Torah upon us. He has given us uh, the permanent indwelling of the Ruach so that we indeed can demonstrate this uh, kind of godliness as we look forward to that day, uh, to the consummation uh, when uh, the entire world will demonstrate these attributes. So let's pray. Lord of God, we do pray, uh, Lord, that we might look at the life of Abraham and we might see a, a, a man whom God knows. And Lord, may we, uh, in Yeshua, the Messiah, uh, Lord, be able to uh, demonstrate these kind of attributes. Lord, may we not judge entire people groups on the, uh, uh, because of an evil regime or what uh, some may have done. Lord, may we pray that innocent and righteous uh, people, Lord, would be spared. Lord, it's your doing what happens. But Lord, our responsibility is to pray. And so we, may we have those kinds of concerns for people. Lord, in our world, may we be proactive uh, on interceding uh, for the innocent, oh, Lord. Oh, God, may we uh, show radical hospitality. May we trust you for your promises, Lord. And Lord, as we really become motivated uh, uh, by your virtues, Lord, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Lord, May, uh, may we demonstrate that in the actions that we do, Lord. And uh, may it be kind of like Abraham. May it be like Moses. May it be like Habakkuk. May it be like Yeshua, Lord. May we intercede. May we pray, Lord, on behalf of others. And God, we live in a, uh, in a dark and dying world, and we thank you that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son, Lord. But we still live in the muck and mire physically in, in the darkness. Lord, may we be a light. 
May we demonstrate light by our courage, our determination, uh, our good judgment, uh, Lord, by, by uh, faith, hope, love, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, Lord, kindness, and things like that, Lord. And may, and may Lord, um, people come, therefore, to the light and embrace Yeshua, Lord, uh, and see the person of Yeshua in us as we look forward to that day of consummation, the day of the restoration of all things. And we pray in Yeshua's name.